Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. You might want to open a window, it's going to get hot in here as we talk about Park Chan-wook's erotically charged melodrama, <laughs> The Handmaiden. Horrible opening! <laughs> Are you Nelly? What that? <laughs> I'm Sam Howlett and this week I'm joined by Helen Seymour. Hello. And Daniela Vrectonidi. Hello. How are you both? Yeah, well, well, well I was alright. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of a better opening. Fair enough. <laughs> we'll stick with it then. <laughs> so, as as mentioned there, uh, we're talking about uh, The Handmaiden, which is Park Chan-wook's first film uh, since he made Stoker in America a few years ago. Uh, he's returned to Korea. Uh, so, The Handmaiden is based on the novel Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, uh, but it moves the action from Victorian England to 1930s Japanese-ruled Korea as we follow Suk-hee, a young pickpocket who, under the instruction of conman Count Fujiwara, becomes the handmaiden of Japanese heiress Lady Hideko in order to convince her to marry him, conning her out of her inheritance. But Suki's own desires stand in the way of Fujiwara's master plan. Uh, now, so it's a packed show today because we're not only going to talk about the handmaiden, but we'll also be discussing the latest Jim Broadbent film, The Sense of an Ending, a bit later on, and Jake will be coming in to do that later. But first, we're going to start with a pitch, as is tradition. So, the film, part of what the film has going on is a kind of love triangle, very complicated love triangle. Uh, So I wanted you two to pitch to me a erotic melodrama. Uh, At its core is a love triangle with three unlikely leads. So... Helen, kick us off. Okay, so in The Handmaiden, there's a symbolic tree. Uh, somebody died by a tree, and there's, there's sort of this idea that their soul mm-hmm. lives on in the flowers. I like it. I'm having it for my film. All right. So a woman falls over in the woods and dies. Okay. A tree grows where she fell and bears fruit. Her widow starts to visit the tree and eats the juicy peaches grow and the more he eats the more he starts to like fall in love with the tree but he is rivaled Sam, mm-hmm. Danny, by the resident squirrel who claims the tree is his own and his alone and the widow 
is played by Trigger from Only Fools and Horses. Okay. It's his character. Right. So the triangle is Trigger. Oh, it, it, it is Trigger. It's, it's trigger. not the actor. It's, it's not trigger. the actor. It's Trigger. Yep. Trigger, the tree and the squirrel. The title. Yep. Trigger nom a tree. Trigger nom a tree. Trigger nom a tree. Trigger um. nom 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 a tree. Trigger nom a tree. Because he eats it. Yeah. Yeah. Trigonometry. Wow. I did not expect that. I did not expect that either. <laughs> but I'm I'm glad. I'm happy that's happened. Strong, isn't it? Yeah, really strong. Yeah. Danny, top that. Um, I don't think I can. <laughs> um I was whenever I think melodrama I think of Pedro Almodovar. Mm-hmm. So I wanted um directed no, produced by Pedro Almodovar, by directed by Joros Lanthimos. I love Triangle. That's because you're Greek. Yeah, that's because I'm Greek. <laughs> um, I love Triangle between Colin Firth, mm-hmm. Benicio del Toro, mm-hmm. and Gael Garcia Bernal. And it will be set in Spain. And uh, it will start in a strip club. But that's as far as I got. It's a strong opening. Thank you. It's really good. Thank you. Okay, I can I can see the eroticism coming through with the the strip club setting mm. and three very attractive leads. Yeah. Very nice. Exactly. Very Calling good. on the pole, I take it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Garcia Bernal will be the stripper. Not Colin. No. Sorry. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you never know where the story will go. So. <laughs> Do we? Can we think of a title for that? Colin, I like Colin on the pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Colin Firth plays Colin. <laughs> Colin on the pole. His career is over. Um, well, mine is based on the fact that uh, the new Thor trailer came out a few days ago, which I'm, I'm sure you're both really excited about. Yeah. And um, I thought there's a lot of great actors in this film and I'd love to see them all together. So mine is about... A lonely housewife, played by Kate Blanchett, uh, who is frequently visited by the postman, played by Jeff Goldblum. Is there blood in the milk? There's no blood in the milk. There's no blood in the post or anything. There's no blood. No blood. This is quite a pleasant film. It's not a crime. Okay. So he's a postman and he's in love with Kate Blanchett. He's been in love with her for ages. But then a new young hotshot postman starts showing up. He's doing the post a bit quicker bit more flirty <laughs> with Kate Blanchett and this is Tom Hiddleston oh. and Kate Blanchett she's sort of been thinking about Jeff Goldblum for a while can I make can can I marry Jeff Goldblum he's a bit Jeff Goldblum you know he's kind mm. of tall and awkward and mm-hmm. kind of but this new young hotshot showing up delivering post quicker bigger packages going through the door mm. however Oh. So they start competing at the post for Kate Blanchett's heart. What happens? They start to have feelings for each other too. The love trial gets even more complicated. This is The Postman Always Rings Thrice. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Three strong films there, strong pitches. <clears throat> Should we get a take to a vote? I'm going to vote for Trigonometry. You do. I think. Oh. I would have voted for Sam. Thank you. Mm. Sorry, Danny. No, it's okay. The creative title, I think, got it there. I think I've got two points now. It's good. I mean, I have no idea what the leaderboard is looking like. If anyone has collated it, they can send that to us. Yeah, that'd be great. We're busy people, you know? We've got stuff to do. Right, on with the show. Excuse me. 
So, later on we're going to be talking about the new Jim Broadbent film based on the Julian Barnes novel Sense of an Ending, but before that, another adaptation uh, awaits us. That is The Handmaiden, directed by Park Chan-wook. Um, so, the film, it kind of straddles multiple kind of genres and story types. So, on one hand, you've got this kind of erotic melodrama. You've got the story about sort of twisty-turny con artist story. You've got this kind of almost gothic at times tale of a period drama You've, there's even a kind of, sort of lesbian romance quality to it the sort of exploring hidden love and love that is not allowed to be that kind of thing going on how successfully do you think it straddled all these different uh, plot points and all these different genres and styles and themes I'm unhappy with how often you said straddled in that Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Apart from that, I don't know what's wrong with you today. (laughs) Apart from that, um, to be serious, I thought it was amazing. This is is so excellent. And um, long old film, isn't it? It's a long old film, yeah. Nearly three hours. Yeah. But I was... um, was gripped all the way through it you know i was really really into it yeah i thought the balance was perfect yeah i really liked at, at how at the about an hour point it kind of flips and sort of starts to tell the story again but from a different perspective yeah um kept it fresh so i really so many layers to this yes. so many lovely metaphors yes. and things that you're just going to pick up every time you watch it um, yeah, this is definitely one to sort of revisit and will definitely be on sort of like my top list. And I think when you mentioned like um, the lesbian romance, it fe- it just felt like a romance and it felt so natural and mm-hmm. nice and yeah, I, I love that. It was so, like it was so, they're so gentle and tender and kind of smiling and, and contrasting that with... Um, some of the other kind of erotic sections of of the film that come from books and people reading. Yeah. It was such a good and strong contrast. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think um, let's maybe talk about the sexual element of the film. Um, Because for me, I think some people have called this an erotic thriller. And I don't know if I'd put it in that category because for me, the connotations of erotic thriller are kind of often kind of sleazy. And sort of male gazy, where it's sort of, you know, I sort of think of a um, like basic instinct. I'd call an erotic thriller, yeah. and they're kind of made for for men to sort of look at the 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 sexy woman while the detective or whatever gets wrapped up in in this world. Um, and I think on the other end of the spectrum would be something like Fifty Shades of Grey, another kind of erotic sort of melodrama. But whereas the sex scenes in Fifty Shades of Grey feel like they're sex scenes designed by committee. They are. They feel very sort of sterile and cold, and they feel like they've been decided in a, a board meeting of about seventy people. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, they feel so. If the sex scene feels so genuine and so natural, and also is erotic, it is sexy. Mm. How did you feel about the sex scenes? Yeah. Um. Well, I think it's kind of. I would go with the term erotic, okay. but I think it's important that we start to see um, characterizations of this nature because it redefines that term. Yes. To stop it being male gazy. Um, Sarah Waters, who wrote Fingersmith, uh, which is, as you said in the beginning, the novel that this is based on, uh, said, I'm just going to quote her directly because she puts it so well. She says, although the film. 
obviously it's it's directed by a man it's still very faithful to the idea that women are appropriating the very male pornographic tradition to find their own way of exploring desires mm. um and uh there's kind of this idea of like where does erotic art kind of meet pornography and but I'm really interested in this idea that it can kind of be both and that pornography yeah. can be artful. Yeah. And I think this film goes... I wouldn't call it pornography, no. but I think it goes some way to show how you can show sex in a really, really artful, beautiful way that yeah. still is sexy. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's how it succeeded. And the balance you were talking about before, about the readings and um, some other bits of the film that are kind of pornographic um, were going against the actual sex scenes mm. it showed the difference between the two and yeah I think it was really good at that yeah and you mentioned you sort of touched upon it earlier this whole thing about um, their sexual desire for each other the two women it's kind of co almost contrasted with the the material in the film that um, Uncle Kuzuki uh forces Lady Hideko to read to him and his wealthy friends. Uh, those scenes, I think, are really interesting, as you said, as they contrast with that. And it's also int introducing this, this is it Shunga? Shunga, mm. yeah. Shunga, which is not something I was entirely familiar with before I saw the film. Were you aware of? Because you both, you've both done a module at university about erotic art, right? Yeah, okay. a history of art module okay. about... Um, yeah, erotic art and pornography and right. where to put the line. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Shunga? Shunga is a um, Japanese erotic art that was around the 1500s and 1800s and um, it was actually banned around uh, the 20th century, early 20th century because of how eroticized it was and how explicit it was mm -hmm. and um, the Western had affected um, that. So, because of the Western kind of uh, influences, and it was interesting because the film is set in nineteen thirties in Korea, and um, it was at that point where that erotic card was not allowed. Okay, mm. and it's um, the famous painting is uh, by is it Hokusai. Yeah, yeah. Hokusai. So this is the dream of the fisherman's wife, and this is a woman with with an octopus. Uh, I won't describe it in any detail. But uh, <laughs> this this kind of plays a big role in the film, um, yeah. and kind of mirrors reality. And it's also, I guess, there's a, there's a kind of hint of <clears throat> Uncle Uncle Kazuki's sort of torture methods in a way involve that painting. Um, that's kind of the more gruesome element of the film, I think, coming mm. through. And again, another nice contrast to the two leads uh, relationship it was really well handled I think also because as horrible as his kind of power yeah. over everything is it, it does sort of show him to be a fool really yeah. and someone who just has sort of seen a work like that and just completely misunderstood yes. it um, and there's some really powerful sort of like it's sort of um, it's on the balance between being kind of funny and then very uncomfortable and yeah. um, where um, there's a group of men being read to yeah. and they're finding it very hard to kind of like control themselves yeah. with this erotic text um, and it kind of um, it reminded me a bit there's a painting by Duchamp 
called uh, The Bride Stripped Bear by her bachelors. And the bottom half of it is all these sort of men who are sort of self-pleasuring in a metaphorical right. way. And then on top, it's the bride. Um, but she's a praying mantis mm. um, who obviously eats her yeah. prey um, when she um, has sex with them. So it's that kind of deception element as well. And this idea that they're just... Um, in this cycle of not that they can't get out of because mm. they don't understand real sensuality. Okay, so they're kind of fooled by their own desire. Yeah, in a way. definitely. And I think that was shown really, really well um, by these yeah. men in suits, kind of trying to cross their legs yeah. and, and looking very uncomfortable. Yeah, I love in the film that there's this kind of thing that everyone is horny yeah. <laughs> all yeah. the time. <laughs> <laughs> and because on what there's one way to look at it where she is. She's she's oppressed by her uncle and forced to sort of um, almost you know perform for these men. But mm. there's also a great deal of power given to her in these scenes. Yeah. I mean, at one point she's literally elevated above them and yeah. torturing them with how uh, sexual she's being yeah. and not letting them have her. And I really enjoyed that. Definitely, and this like because obviously it's very she was taught to read using yeah. pornographic texts. So, you know, her the very basis of her language is this male um, sort of dominance, but she subverts that yeah. and uses it to her own power. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so there's a, there's a scene that's really stuck in my mind from the film, there are of many, and this is the filing down of the tooth. I think that was the sexiest scene yeah, in the whole absolutely. film. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have um Lady Hideko's in the bath and her handmaiden, Suki, she's uh Lady Hideko's complaining about a sharp tooth and I I've never seen I didn't even know this was a thing people did, file down their teeth. Um I think it, on one hand it sort of shows the decadence of the life she has, how mm. how wealthy she is. But also it's so erotic this scene and you can it has no music and it's so kind of tense. And you can really feel, and so Suki has her, you know, she's filing down her tooth with this sort of thimble, mm. and it goes on for quite a while. So They're sort of delicately <laughs> touching her elbow. You're right, this is the sexiest scene in the film. Yeah. It's amazing how, yeah. I mean, it's so tense. Yeah. And you're just like sitting there, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Yeah, you can really feel that she, they want to, they want to make love to each other yeah. right there and then. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's great. I think the sound in this film is, yeah. is really, really good. Um, and throughout the whole, it's all about like breaths and like sides and yeah. things like that. And you can like you can hear it and just like, oh my god, it's like that's why it keeps that tense mm. like throughout the whole film and yeah. in that scene especially yeah. as well. Every sound is intensified. Yeah, because I like, think you just hear the sound <laughs> of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I warned you to open the window. Um, <laughs> um, and I think let's talk about the uh, the kind of main sex scene of the film, which I think is a masterclass of balancing tone, mm. because yes, on one and it is uh, you can feel their kind of desire for each other really ramping up in this scene. There's also a lot of humour going on in this scene. What did you think about the balance of tone in this scene and throughout the film? Because for me, it kind of it changes so often mm. without appearing ridiculous or overtly comedic or anything. 
I mean, that the main sex scene, yeah, you're right, it's kind of funny because she's sort of saying, oh, show me what, what my wedding will night yeah. will be. And they sort of continue this language throughout and then, you know, obviously that's not why they're yeah. doing this. <laughs> it's not a lesson. Um, and, yeah, she says, like, oh, you're, you know, you must be a natural because you're so naive, but you're so... Yeah, you're, you're doing very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this film is so well balanced, and and the tone is so on it. Um, I, I I can't really say anything more than that. It's I think it's interesting because like in Sugar, Sugar that we discussed before, um, all the paintings are very erotic, but they are also very humorous, mm. and they don't take themselves too seriously. Um, and I think the it's kind of like that in the film as well and also I feel like um, like Korean Japanese filmmaking as well it's a bit humor humorous mm. throughout like even the serious films yeah you also, you can always see like expressions and like um, that come across a lot more humorous than maybe they were intended but this still works yeah definitely I think it's that not taking life too seriously mm. yeah and I think it. that's a really important part of like good sex as Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Well, like yeah. not taking it too seriously and having joy and like pleasure and laughter with yeah. each other, which it does really, really effectively. Yeah, and I think for all the kind of um, villainous characters and you know the characters go through quite a hard time in this film at times. The film is surprisingly light. Mm. I think way more than I was expecting it to be, because you know you think for a nearly three hours erotic thriller, it might be a bit of a at times a hard going experience but it, it it remains light on its feet enough I think I feel like at the end the film is more of a romance yeah. than anything else like it just feels like it's a story about the two of them and everything else is on the background the deceit the family yeah. drama all of that I don't know it, yeah. th- I think maybe that's why it didn't feel as like tense I mean, there's even a scene, you know, where she sort of tries to commit suicide, which becomes mm. hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. In a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also a really key part of the narrative. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Like, to put all those things together and to, for it to just flow is, is really yeah. well done. Really, yeah. It's never made of a huge deal, the fact that these are two women. Mm. It's kind of, they just happen to, it's a matter of fact. Yeah. And... I know, for me, I think that's an incredibly progressive thing to have. And I think in the same year that Moonlight won Best Picture, mm-hmm. how great is it that we can have this film out 
without it being made of a big deal that it is about two women. Exactly, because I didn't know that it was about two women. Right. Mm. Um, I had no idea what it was <laughs> before I started yeah. watching it. But then when I saw when the narrative went, I'm like, oh, this is this is really good. And I didn't think about it until the end of the film, really. Like, yeah. That it's oh two women, like yeah, okay, it's two women, you know. And I th- I really I thought that was really good. Yeah. Yeah, there's never I I can't really remember any kind of dialogue where it's like oh we can't do this we're mm. we're two women or anyone even mentions the fact that these are two women. Mm. It's just kind of it just happens. It's very matter of fact. Yeah, so they couldn't be together because of family and her uncle yeah. rather than them being two women. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, let, uh, speaking of the uncle, I think you know he is quite a ridiculous, over the top, sort of pantomime villain at times. Yeah. Um, because there's there's a he um, constantly sort of licking his pen, mm. yeah. which gives him this really black tongue. I think that's a really great character trait. Yeah. Um, and it's the I think it's um, you know sums up the tone of the film that you can have this over the top pantomime villain, but he's also a properly nasty evil character mm-hmm. that you know works in the film. Um, did you think of this as some of the other characters as well that sort of the over the top nature worked? in that sense. I think with him, with the Count as well, even some of Suki's reactions are quite often over the top and almost cartoonish on occasion. Yeah. Did you get that? Yeah, I did. Okay. But again, I feel like it might be like because of the filmmaking. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I, th- I think that's why it was like that. But again, it works because it's silly, but also yeah. not... It's still scary, but also not. Sure. They have that balance. Yeah. And the idea of it being really layered. So Mm. uh, this, yeah, it's cartoonish that he has this black tongue, but also I think it kind of works very well that um, something, again, that Sarah Waters picked up is kind of this idea that... um, the idea of like moisture okay. everyone hates that word but that's the word that she used <laughs> so I'm going to have to say it uh, um, and that the uncle you know when he sucks his pen it makes his tongue black because he doesn't understand but yeah. for the women you know there's that they um, suck a lollipop at, yeah. at lots of points in the film and obviously the bath scene and even underneath his library it's kind of revealed that there's this great water yeah. um, that they use to their power. And the octopus. And the octopus and there's another point where um, the Count kind of asks to change watercolours for oils and I okay. think I think it's this kind of idea that, that they're so dry mm. and they don't understand pure like sensuality. Mm. Okay, That's, That's a very interesting. Yeah, it's a really good reading actually. Yeah. yeah, I quickly want to talk about the fact that it's a Park Chan-wook film who has made films like Old Boy and Lady Vengeance and Thirst, which are incredibly violent, quite vicious films. And I expected the same of this, but this is actually incredibly sweet, mm. I think, which really surprised me. And yeah. um, I don't think we're going to spoil the ending. Um, but there, are, but there, throughout there are scenes that are just really quite lovely um, and really sort of surprise you. I think we can say it has an optimistic ending. Yes. Um, which is contrast by as far as it goes in terms of kind of like uh, exploring that torture narrative. Yeah. Um, you know, which is really that sort of t- to end on such a good contrast in this kind of basement yeah. compared to this beautiful light bedroom. Yeah. Um, 
is is really well done and and yeah like it doesn't follow his kind of his um narrative of the films that he's made in, in yeah. the past but i think he does such such a good job of it and and i don't think you can kind of really yes he's a man but i think he's done it really really well yeah. so you sure. you know i don't re- i can't really sit here and be like oh well it's got you know it's not male gazy it's very um egalitarian it's it's a beautiful beautiful yeah. film mm. yeah for sure yeah, I think visually, we haven't really talked about the visuals enough, I think. It is absolutely stunning. There's so many sort of beautiful landscapes and wide shots yeah. as well. Um, you know, which again, kind of, this film is full of really, really good juxtapositions. You know, these really intimate um, shots as well. That, yeah. Um, yeah, and sort of just making use of, of the landscape. And the house is so well designed. Oh, yeah. And you've, we've, we've talked quite a bit about how layered the film is. The house as well, incredibly layered. Yeah. Like one room, it will kind of have these different platforms and characters are sort of high up and low down. And the, the staging is so incredible. And I know it's got this, you know, it's got it's going to have this sort of uh, Japanese Asian design of this, the sort of sliding doors. Mm. But they're used so well here, so beautifully, like so many sort of lovely silhouettes. Yeah, there's one in particular where they they've got their suitcases yeah. and they it's very simple. Them it's just them going through the house and putting them down. Yeah. But the silhouettes of their cloaks and opening the doors it's done really well. Yeah, for sure. And the house kind of um, made me think of like um, gothic films where there's mm. like the main girl that comes into the house and then she's trapped kind of in it. Yeah. And. Um, and it's really interesting to see that. Yeah, and her bedroom, of course, mm. is behind the sliding door, yeah. um, which has that real gothic element, especially at the beginning when she first arrives at night time. Yeah, sort of this hidden, the hidden heiress, the hidden lady. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very gothic. Yeah. Okay, so do check out The Handmaiden. It is a long film, but I think seeing it on a big screen is absolutely worth your time. Uh, I think I agree with Helen when I say that this will probably make my top 10 of the year yeah at the moment anyway i know it's still early days but you know having seen it twice now it, it it's an extraordinary film and is it's quite broad as well like it's a story that everyone will recognize and it's it's not off-putting at all at any point in the film and i think some people may be hesitant to see this film and they really shouldn't be no. i think this film is absolutely for everyone mm. so do check out the handmaiden Okay, and we're now graced with the presence of Jake Cunningham. Hello. Hello. Uh, and he's going to talk with us about Ritesh Batra's adaptation of the Julian Barnes novel Sense of an Ending, starring Jim Broadbent and Charlotte Rampling. Jake, do you want to introduce the film for us? Yeah, um, so this is... It begins in some kind of... It feels a bit like it's going to be a proto-sequel to 45 years of some kind. Uh, that maybe we've recast and we've got Jim Broadbent now, but we've kept Charlotte Rampling. Um, and we've got a an older man who's reflecting on his past. He's been sent something, we don't know what, after the mother of one of his young friends has died. Uh, he's, and so he's been left something which turns out to be a diary. And he reflects on who this diary may have come from uh, and why it's ended up in his possession and it's it's kind of a meditation on the selective memory and nostalgia that we have uh, and adapting to 
new technologies and new ideas in later life. And I think it's more of a complex role than we're used to seeing of the kind of film like Best Exotic Marigold Host Hell or Song for Marion or something. Uh, it's not maybe a traditional old people's film as we had with 45 years as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, this film, I think uh, it's it's got two things going on for me. It's one, an exploration of revisiting your past and e- even at an old age, moving life ahead of you, even as you look to the past. Yeah. Uh, but also, there's a kind of mystery to the film. Uh, there's a, almost sort of an investigation that um, Broadbent's character is doing. So, and I think that it it balances those quite well, that it has this theme of ageing, but also this kind of mystery at its heart. Yeah, I mean, otherwise it it could be pretty loose. It, yeah. could, it could just be a bloke sitting in his room talking about the life he used to have and the friends he used to have, but it is grounded in this mystery. And what that mystery is actually changes as it goes along um, because it's he's been given something, oh, he's been given a diary, whose the diary is, and you get a bit more information as it goes on as to why this is so important to him and what... He's done sort of 30, 40 years ago and how that has echoed over the the last few decades and how that's affected him now. And how we meet him now is is a bit different to what we're used to seeing as well. Uh, in an older character, he's divorced, but quite happily so. Yep. Um, his daughter's having a baby by herself and he's getting along with his ex-wife and talking to her and it's through these conversations that's where we learn about the past as well it's not just a chap narrating and telling us it does actually have a vessel to do that it does have reason and he's he's an interesting character as well in that he's he's not horrible but he is definitely uh very sharp with people and kind of abrasive and kind of unlikable at times yeah, and that's what like talking about the older complex, yeah. complex character. We're so used to seeing um, older people in films either being one way or the other. They're completely sweet and nice and yeah. lovely, and they'll give you a word that's original, um, <laughs> or they're just horrible old curmudgeons yeah. who don't want anything to do with new technology and young people, and every bit of music is too loud and fast. Uh, but he isn't like that. He is willing to change as well, um, and he's he kind of embraces new technology. He's relatively cool. He can talk to people. And it's never made a big deal out of the fact that he is accepting of other people and their choices. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that Julian Barnes has kind of he's he's happy with the adaptation, mm. and he's he's you know. Because it, it, it's more of a famous book than I knew, yeah. and loads of people have read it. So I think there's a kind of a, a lot of expectations will be going into this film, and seemingly they'll be met. Uh, I've I've heard it's fairly, you know, it's um, it's a good adaptation. It's fairly faithful. Yeah. Um. One thing that, that I wanted to talk about in particular with this film, and you notice it when you when the film finishes and the credits come up, that the first people in the credits are the sound team. Okay. Um. And. I know it's like sound is not necessarily something you want to be looking out for because great sound design feels inseparable from the image and it just keeps you within the film. But 
it made me think about the, the literal sense of that is in the title, the sensory experience. Uh, in the book, the sense of an ending doesn't necessarily relate to that. It's actually just a quote from a literary fiction theory book. Uh, but the film has translated that and taken the sense to be literal senses of touch, mm. smell, taste. And running throughout the film, it's a very tactile film. There's a lot of uh, touching of hair and faces and movement. And there's all the time there's eating and drinking as well. And it is it so plays into that idea of senses being so strongly linked to memory and that when you when you do have a smell and it suddenly takes you back to 10 years like how we we open a tin that hasn't been opened for a year and we can say oh that smells of christmas um and that's what this film does well and there are moments where the older character played by broadbent will do something and suddenly he is placed inside the actions of the younger broadbent walking through the parties that he's at at university and I think that's all down to the sound it's just a remarkable job of building up these worlds and it is no surprise that they are the first people in the credits uh, it's just a really really great piece of sound work and it's Max Richter who has done the music uh, who people m may know as the composer who wrote the incredibly sad piece of music that plays at the end of Arrival but he also did the Congress uh, he's a great composer uh, and he's done the music for this too. Uh, so do check out the sound work on this one. Yeah, and it's really nice to see that Jim Broadbent is, you know, can still be a leading man at the age of 67 mm. and still absolutely bring, you know, really engrossing, really engaging performance. Um, I think, yeah, I really enjoyed this film actually. Um, and you're right, it, the mystery, it, it, our devotion to finding out the mystery evolves throughout the film. Yeah. And I think that there are some... Yeah, that's a hard job to do because if you set up a mystery, you feel like the film should entirely be about the mystery. Mm. This does a good job of showing you and giving you enough information about the characters' pasts and who the characters are that we kind of don't care as much about the mystery anymore because we're just happy to be in the lives of these characters. Yeah, it's very much... It's better when it's not about the mystery yeah. for me. Um, yeah. It's better when it is just that really lovely fluid movement between memories is so well crafted. It's not like it's trance or inception or something yeah. where you're moving through ginormous constructed layers and you're very aware of what's going on and the artificiality of it. This is so fluid and lucid and it feels like such a great translation of memory um, and the selectiveness of it and how memories can actually change too. Um, and I think those those bits are where it's at its best. Okay, so there's, there you go. Two great films out in cinemas this weekend, The Handmaiden and The Sense of an Ending. Or if you fancy a night in, we have our Curls on Home Cinema recommendations of the week. Uh, Danny, would you like um, to start? Yes, um, I would recommend Only Lovers Left Alive by Jim Jamush. And it's about um, two very, very old vampires played by Tom Hiddleston. And Tilda Swinton. Tom Hiddleston, star of The Postman, yeah, Always exactly, Rings Thrice. Exactly. <laughs> so before that <laughs> amazing role, <laughs> he starred as a vampire, and it's a very interesting take on the vampire genre. I would yeah. say. I read that uh, there was a cut of the film where there was there was some a big uh, one action scene where something happened, and uh, Jamu showed it to people, and they were like, oh, "I love that bit." 
so he cut it <laughs> right. <laughs> to make less happen in the film yeah it is very low-key and it's shot really nicely you, and you're saying the Tom Hiddleston film is low-key <laughs> oh. yeah well done <laughs> um, yeah it's really really good I really like it All right. uh, well I'm going to throw my hat in the ring with 45 years um, just as a nice double bill with a sense of an ending uh, for a bit more Charlotte Rampling and it's Andrew Haig's film from last 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 year and it won both Tom Courtney and Charlotte Rampling Best Actress and Actor Awards at the Berlin Film Festival, respectively. Um, and it's quite a it's a quiet but quite powerful film with quite subtly driven performances from both of them. And it's got a quite a haunting last shot too, um, without ever being overly dramatic about it. Nice. Uh, Anna Melissa is on there uh, talking about. The uh, beautiful, sensual, gentle, happy lovemaking in uh, *Handmaiden*. This film is the complete opposite <laughs> of that, with uh, themes of nightmarish isolation and loneliness. Uh, definitely one for the lonely night scene. <laughs> <laughs> and on uh, the note of sort of interesting representations of sex and sexuality in films. Anna Byler's The Love Witch is now available on Cousin Home Cinema. Uh, this is a film like no other. It's made to look like it was made in the 70s. Everything about it, the set design, the acting, the dialogue. I think this film is probably not for everyone, um, but I think if you allow yourself to be taken in by it all, you'll really enjoy it. I absolutely loved it. It's got a really great starring performance by Samantha Robinson, and it's written, directed edited, set designed, composed and costume designed all by Anna Byler. It's like a really real labour of love for her. Uh, so do check out The Love Witch. And that is it for this week. Thank you for listening. That's goodbye from Jake. Goodbye. Goodbye from Danny. Goodbye. Goodbye from Helen. Bye. That's goodbye from me. You can close the windows now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.